1: All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping Union Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I am joined by Nathan Boussinex and uh, James Coates. Guys, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hey, Dave, thanks so much for having us.
1: Yeah, it's great to, great to have you both here.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Yeah, man. All right. Well, guys, can you both uh, introduce yourselves and tell us briefly about your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry products that you want to share uh, with our audience?
0: Sure. My name is Nathan Buzenitz. I am married with four children, and I have the privilege of serving at the Master's Seminary and also as part of the elder team at Grace Community Church here in Los Angeles under Pastor John MacArthur. And uh, just really delighted to be on the show today, Dave. Thanks so much for having us.
1: Thank you so much for agreeing to come on, brother.
2: I'm married to my wife, Erin, and we have two boys, and I pastor in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, at Grace Life Church of Edmonton, and I've uh, been in ministry here for over 10 years now, and um, just desire to be faithful to the Lord in all that we do, and uh, grateful as well, Dave, to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you, guys. We I really appreciate both of you and your bold biblical stand. so thankful for both of your ministries very much, so. Can you guys tell us about this this book, uh, God versus Government: Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide? Why you wrote it, and how you hope it'll be, how you both hope it'll be received?
0: Yeah, and I'll let uh, James talk a little bit about his perspective on the project here in just a moment. For those of us here at Grace Community Church, when the pandemic first came and the lockdowns first came, it was March of 2020. Uh, we saw churches all across the country shut down. In fact, I remember reading a blog post of one of our alumni from the Master's Seminary who said something along the lines of, if you had told us just six months ago that within six months, every church in America would voluntarily shut its doors, no one would have believed it. And yet that's exactly what we saw happening as a result of, again, the government mandates and the lockdowns and everything else. At Grace Church, our own elder team went through really a process of evaluating what we ought to do. And through that process came to the conviction that we needed to open our doors in spite of government mandates to the contrary. Uh, We believed that it was necessary for biblical reasons, which I'm sure we'll explore more. But through that process, I got to see our pastor, John MacArthur, lead with courage. And I got to see our elder team look to the Word of God to develop the convictions to make that kind of choice, a bold choice. And so the reason I wanted to write this book was, especially for men who come through seminary training, which is my world, and go out to pastor churches, I wanted them to have a resource that looked at those same biblical principles And also told a little bit of our story so that they could kind of see behind the curtain a little bit in terms of how our elders reached the decision that we reached based on those biblical principles. So it was about bringing conviction and pastoral practice to a place where it would be hopefully a practical resource for the church. And I knew about James's story. And James is one of our alumni here at the Master's Seminary and certainly a like-minded brother in ministry. And so I reached out to him to ask him if he would wanna partner on this project. And so James, you wanna talk a little bit about your part in the project? Yeah, I think we want this book
2: to be out there because we want the church to be equipped to be able to navigate the the climate that has evidently changed in the Western world. It's evident that um, Christianity is not as warmly received among our political leaders at this time and that the governing authorities do want to impose an increased, um, level of authority on the church. And so, um, so we wanted this to come out and, and to equip the church to that end. And of course, by telling our stories, it really does, as Nathan said, uh, lets folks on the inside to understand what that experience was like. And and that would assist them to, to navigate taking a similar stand in their own lives and ministries, because, Getting to see how things go on the inside allows you to be able to anticipate what's going to come, the difficulties and challenges that are going to arise along the way. And so I think by virtue of of telling our stories and then providing a a framework within which to to navigate the the governing authorities and the the imposition of their authority on the church, um, we're going to be better off as a church moving on in the years ahead.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said, guys, I. I really, I really do appreciate both of you. I think that the stand, especially that you both have taken and, you know, in your respective churches is huge. It's massive. It's, it's needed. Um, You know, and it concerns me, you know, that that many churches haven't taken the same and similar stand with you. So, you know, I signed, I signed the statement myself um, that Dr. MacArthur and grace community sent out because I was concerned about it as well. you know the church should be should be open and not closed um, so that people can be ministered to and and cared about. And I know people disagree on that, um, you know, but the church is absolutely essential and so I think that the stand that you guys have made is absolutely critical. Um, you know James, I'll just say this. I know many people myself included deeply, deeply appreciate. Your very bold uh, and necessary stand there in Canada. Um, how how can we best be praying for pastors? You know, in in Canada right now.
2: Well, I think we need to see pastors embrace their call to ministry, and and they're to be caretakers of the church. The church is to be a pillar in support of the truth, and so pastors need to lead the charge in standing for righteousness, standing for the truth, preaching the whole counsel of the word of God. Uh, They need, in some senses, to be, I think, awakened to what's happening in our day. I think we've been lulled to sleep by decades of favorable treatment from our governing authorities. And and now that things are catching up to us a little bit and and we're beginning to experience what many people around the world have experienced for the very decades that we've enjoyed the favor that we have, uh, it's time to recognize that things are changing and that to be faithful in this time is going to demand that you um, you take a stand uh, against government overreach. You know, I, I I titled my sermon back in December twentieth of twenty twenty. The time has come. When I when I titled it that, I wasn't entirely sure why I did. In all honesty, and it just dawned on me uh, maybe about a month ago why. And and the time has come to to stand for righteousness in the the face of persecution. The persecution that we've anticipated for for a long time and have have in many cases prepared our people for the reality of is now here. And, and so that oppression that we're receiving now for our beliefs by our government and, and even from, you know, the, the fringe minority of our, of our culture it's here. And so it requires that we stand. It requires courage. Uh, Courage is something that you have in the face of fear. And so you, you overcome fear with courage and, uh, and, and it's time to take a stand, a clear and bold stand for the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Amen, brother. Amen. Well, Nathan, you're you're on the pastoral staff at Grace Community Church in California, and James, you're the pastor of Grace Life in, in, in Canada. Uh, what are the differences you guys have had in navigating similar challenges in different countries?
0: Yeah, Dave, that's a great question. I think, obviously, there's different contexts. We're here in the United States, in Los Angeles, and James is there in Canada. So we're talking about two different governments. And there are some other... Um, I guess, slight differences in terms of uh, perhaps the size of the church, the number of elders involved in these kinds of conversations, those kinds of things. But honestly, uh, the story that we're telling, even though it's two different churches in two different locations in two different countries, it really is a united set of convictions. And those convictions are biblical convictions That propelled each of our elder teams into action. And it wasn't that James's church did what his church did because of what Grace Community Church did, or that Grace Community Church did what it did because of what any other church did. We were both independently looking at those biblical principles, and those principles inform our convictions, and that conviction becomes the basis for our courage. And so we're each taking a stand in our respective contexts, but the stand we are taking, we're united in that commitment to those biblical convictions, starting with the Lordship of Christ, that he is the head of the church and therefore we're going to obey him, even if that means that we are in non-compliance with certain governmental mandates.
1: Do you want to add anything to that, James?
0: Well, one of the challenges that I think we've
2: experienced in contrast to what um, Grace Community has is that in the context of our court system and the charter, which is effectively our constitution, um, we've gotten no help, no support. So whereas in the US, there have been a number of court rulings that have ruled in favor of the stance that Grace Community Church took, we have not gotten that from our court system. So in terms of where we are as a country, in terms of our political climate, we are further down the road of totalitarianism than the US is. And so that has produced a bit of a challenge. We, We haven't gotten, any help uh, from the, the 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 civil recourse avenues that you would you would like to see uh, help from. and that's okay because ultimately we're taking the stand for the Lord and whatever comes for that stand is for his honor and his glory. but it definitely touches on um, a difference in terms of the two countries.
1: yeah, that's that's really good an- a really good answer. you know when when governments overreach and they start telling certain population groups, what they can or cannot do, like we've seen during COVID. At what point must biblically grounded Christians resist and speak out either one of you guys?
0: Well, I think the simple principle is found in the words of Peter and his fellow apostles in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where he told the religious leaders when he and his other apostles were on trial It looked like they were going to be executed for preaching in the name of Jesus, and they're being told to stop, and they're unwilling to comply because to comply would be disobedience to their commission. Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. And that at the heart of it is the issue when government or any human authority mandates that we do something that would prevent us from being obedient to what God has called us to do, we must obey God rather than men. So that really is the, the basic premise. It's the heart principle behind all of this.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's really good. James, do you have anything that you would like to add to that?
2: Well, yeah, so, so kind of building from that, there are going to be times when the government's going to tell us to do things that we can't. And it's going to, there are going to be times when it tells us to do things um, or tell us not to do things that God commands us to do. And so in either case, our obedience to the Lord must trump all government mandates, whether they are forbidding us from doing that which God commands or whether they are commanding us to do that which God forbids. Uh, we know that it's time then to obey God, not men.
1: Amen. Really good. What What is the role of Christian conscience related to government overreach and how can pastors and ministry leaders help people understand a Christian understanding of conscience and how it should equip them uh, uh, to think through issues during the pandemic.
0: Well, you know, Dave, it's interesting because one of the passages that is often brought up in this conversation is Romans chapter 13, which of course talks about having an attitude of submission towards government authority. And we do wanna have an attitude of submission towards those in governing authority. The issue comes when governing authority commands us or mandates that we do something that would cause us to be disobedient to God. In those cases, we must obey God rather than men, as we just discussed. I think it's interesting, providential, that the very next chapter, Romans chapter 14, is one of the key passages that addresses the Christian and conscience. And it's there in Romans 14, verses 4 and 5, also in verse 10, that Paul makes it very clear that every Christian ultimately gives an account to God. And then at the end of that chapter in verse 23, Paul talks about the fact that if you do something, if it's not of faith, it is sin, which means that to go against your conscience, especially when your conscience is informed biblically from the word of God, to go against your conscience is a sin. It is a transgression in the eyes of God. If we go back to the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, one of the most famous speeches ever given was by Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms in the year 1521, just over 500 years ago. And he boldly told Emperor Charles V that he must, he says, my conscience is bound, it's captive to the word of God and to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And in that speech, Luther really laid down the Protestant principle of conscience, that our consciences are informed by the word of God and to violate one's conscience is a sin. Romans 14, 23. So we see the role of conscience as uh, very, very important, and we would never counsel anyone in our church to violate his or her conscience.
1: Very good. James, do you want to?
0: Yeah, and I think one of the ways that that intersects
2: with some of the the approaches to the, the presence of government mandates that would preclude the church from gathering is that you have leaderships who have dictated to their congregations how each congregant is to respond to the mandate. And that would be, in my estimation, the the elders of the church infringing on the conscience of their people by not allowing their their congregants to determine for themselves how they're going to relate to government edicts that are outside the sphere of their typical avenue of authority and so i think if if leaderships that were even divided on this issue allowed even within the context of their leadership for their leadership to act in a manner consistent with their conscience I think that would be a more appropriate way to handle this than to impose a a one size fits all solution onto the church, demand that everyone comply with that and force those who disagree to then either have to leave because they can't comply on the ground of conscience or, you know, to have a bunch of individuals in the church who are, who are put in that awkward position of, of, well, what do I do here? Do I submit to my, my elders or, or do I adhere to my conscience? And then, Maybe in some cases they're having to abstain from the gathering because they can't you know, wear a mask, whatever the case is in the context of that gathering. And so I think as it comes to conscience, I think we would do better, even in the context where you have, you know, uh, division among the leadership or even the congregation for everyone to to be allowed to navigate this season of life in a manner consistent with their conscience.
1: So you think that, but I think what I hear you saying is maybe that provide some, a church leader should maybe provide some guidance, not like this is what you should do type thing. Is that, is that kind of what you're touching on? brother?
2: Well, yeah. And I think you would see that. So as, as you read the book, God versus government, you're going to see the way that Grace Community Church navigated this and how they guided their congregation. You're going to see the way Grace Life Church did as well. And what you're going to find out is that we didn't mandate or force anyone to do anything. We simply opened our doors and let people decide for themselves what they wanted to do. In our case, we even had a section within the the gathering itself that was set apart for social distancing and, and everything else. And so what that does then is it allows for people to function in a manner consistent with their conscience. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think what you're going to find out maybe uh, to your surprise, if you read this book, is that uh, there was a a very charitable approach from both leaderships in in shepherding our people through this time, and and I think that would be a beneficial you know approach to be to be applied across the board in this in this situation.
1: Yeah, and I read the book. I thought it was really helpful, and you guys were definitely clear about that point. But uh, I think it's important just for clarity to ask that follow up question. Uh, just so yeah, and we, you
0: know, go ahead, and Dave. Just to add on to that, that's not. A pragmatic approach to the situation. That's a biblical approach, taking the principles of Romans 14, as we've already mentioned, and also 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, those passages in the New Testament that talk about conscience issues, it's taking those principles and applying them in a practical way to a real-life situation. So, um, this isn't pragmatism. This is biblical principle being put into practice at a pastoral level.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Well, here's a here's another big question for you guys. Uh, can you talk to us about sphere sovereignty and how that impacted the elder boards of grace community and grace life and your responses to criticism for those outside uh, both of your churches on the decisions of both boards to keep your churches, you know, open during the pandemic?
0: Yeah, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, the Lord Jesus himself makes a very famous statement. He says, we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And in that simple statement, he establishes a distinction between the secular and the sacred. And when we look at other passages in the New Testament, we can build a case for the fact that there are these different spheres of authority. There would be the sphere of the church, there would be the sphere of secular or civil government, and I would argue also for the sphere of the family. And within those spheres of authority, God has placed civil rulers, governors, and others in authority over civil government. He's placed parents, especially fathers, in positions of leadership and influence in the family. And he has placed elders as those who are to lead the church. And if you read, for example, the statement that the elders of Grace Community Church released, this was in July of 2020, we really emphasized those different spheres and made the case that when government goes beyond its jurisdiction, it goes beyond its biblical, biblically defined jurisdiction and engages in overreach into the affairs of the church, it has no jurisdiction in the church telling the church what to believe or how to worship. And so the elders of each congregation are accountable directly to Christ. First Peter five, one to four, we as under shepherds are accountable to the chief shepherd. And Really, what we were saying in taking that stand was to say to civil government, you have no jurisdiction when it comes to the polity or theology or the worship practices of the church. Those things belong to Christ alone, and he governs his church through the spiritual leadership of elders whom he's placed in each local congregation. So that's how that spheres of influence model applied to this situation, at least for our church. Amen. Yeah. And it, it recognizes that all authority is from God.
2: I mean, this is our father's world. And so he establishes these spheres of authority. He delegates to each sphere, the authority that it's, that's theirs. And, and, and the fact that you have authority delegated by God to a particular sphere means that that authority is limited and defined and has purpose. And so what you're seeing right now is governments are assuming Total authority, total authority over every sphere of authority over the church, over the home, the individual, and and that's not the way things are laid out in Scripture. And it's again our Father's world, so He gets to dictate how these spheres of authority function. He gives them their responsibility. Even the government itself, Romans thirteen, is a deacon of God, a, a minister of God. So, um, so when you when you begin to realize, okay, all authority is from God. It's delegated. It's limited. It's defined. You begin to see okay so there are some spheres of authority here and each sphere needs to respect the other sphere of authority and and when any sphere of authority begins to usurp the authority of another that's the trigger point uh, especially when they're beginning to tell you to either disobey god or 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 to sin whatever the case is um that's when you know it's time to to obey god not men
1: yeah the thing that the thing that concerned me about the the lockdown is as as and as I've thought about it over time, it just kind of it settled on me. Is and you know in the United States we have you know we have the Constitution and we have the Bill of Rights and the 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 law uh, dictates you know to to the the whole the way law is made in the United States is from the Congress and the Senate and they have to pass the laws. Now we all know that that's a basic civics lesson, but it's like in our country we've forgotten those basic civic lessons. Um, and so instead of the Congress and the Senate making the law, you have OSHA making the law and that just it, it breaks the central principle of you know how the law is is supposed to be made and dictated in our country and that 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 is what concerns me and the precedence that that sets.
0: Yeah and Dave, just to give you an example, and James can speak more to this because he's in Canada, but the recent passing of that bill in Canada, the C4 bill, I believe it was called, which is the bill that makes it a felony, I believe, to engage in any sort of conversion of someone who claims to be LGBTQ. What we see there is, again, the government infringing, in that case, not only onto the rights of the church because it prevents or makes it illegal for pastors to confront homosexuality as sin, but also engaging in overreach into the home because it would make it illegal for parents to actually parent their children in a way that honors the Lord. So that's just another recent example of this kind of overreach when the spheres of authority are not respected.
1: I like that. Really good. Uh what are what are some subtle ways the church has has bought into statism besides the lockdown compliance?
0: Well, really coming back to what I just said, I do think whether the church has fully bought into this, I think it will be tested in the next few years. Uh, the LGBTQ issue, was uh, federal governments, especially here in the United States, as they begin to regard any speech that would call homosexuality a sin or take a biblical stance on those issues when when government begins to classify that as hate speech or pass laws that make it illegal to even preach the gospel to those who are engaged in those kinds of sinful lifestyles Uh, It will be very interesting to see whether or not the American church has the backbone to take a biblical stand. The good news, of course, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for sinners, no matter what sin characterizes their lifestyle. And so there is forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were justified, you were sanctified and all through the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. So our hope is in him. But uh, I do have concerns that the American church, when it faces that uh, coming trial, that it may not pass the test.
1: I agree. I'm concerned about that, too, brother. Very concerned.
0: Well, it's hard to uh, say, too. It's hard to say, too,
2: whether, you know, it's a a buying of statism or if it's a fear. And then a passage like Romans 13 is being appealed to 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 cover the fear and give a justification for not taking a biblical stand. Uh, You have the issue as well of testimony. I mean, churches are very concerned about their testimony and to navigate the matter of testimony. They're actually looking to how culture is going to respond to the stand that they take. And, and that is, that's moving the goalposts. Our testimony is to Christ. We're to be faithful to Christ. As we're faithful to him, we give testimony to the world that we love him just as he did in his love for the father. And so I think as we, as we shift the goalposts and make testimony more more pragmatic, where we're 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 trying to assess what it is that we ought to do in light of the the whims of culture and how the culture is going to perceive the different stands that we take, um, you know, all of that looks like the embracing of statism. Um, whether it's actually that fear or or you know a, a confused idea but what it is to have a a, a good Christian testimony. It's difficult to say it, but I think as Nathan points out, time will tell and we'll find out just what the the root cause of of what we're seeing in in the church today is.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good. Well, James, how did the Lord minister to you in prison, assuring you of his nearness while you wondered about how the Lord would tend to your family and, and the church?
2: Well, early on, he had a lot of people that were coming to me. And whether it was chaplains, whether it was other guards, uh, just a lot of individuals were, were coming to me and were just helping me understand what was going on, getting me up to speed on the culture. When you go into prison, you're entering into a whole new culture and no one really tells you how to navigate that. So unless you have some help, uh, you're, you're just learning on the fly. Uh, in some ways, that's beneficial because it makes the time fly by. You're just preoccupied with trying to figure out this culture that you're in, but you need some help. And so I had people that were coming to me and were, were calling me out of my cell to meet them and, and to talk with them. And so there was comfort coming that way. Um, you know, there, there are, there's money that you have as a prisoner that people can put on your account to be able to buy a canteen and different things like that. And, and so people were being very generous. And so every time I would call my wife, I'd find out that somebody else had put, you know, 20 bucks or 40 bucks in my account. And, and that's just a, a wonderful sign of love and affection that you have people that are, that, are, that are caring for you in that way. Our church was just caring for my family immensely. And so I didn't need to worry about them and how they were doing. The Lord just ministered. And, and I think the thing that that has stood out to me is I've seen the Lord work in my life all these years. I've seen his providence um, in, 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 difficult matters of obedience. And so when you end up in a, a scenario where you're in prison, you're wondering if all of that, that providence that God has shown you in, in your difficulties will be there in prison, you know? And, and it's like Psalm 139. I mean, whether I go to heaven or shoal, the Lord is there, I can't flee from his presence. And he was with me in prison and the same care, love and, and, and shepherding I receive in my life I received while I was in prison. And so the Lord just cares for you the same way he does in every aspect of life. And, uh, and, and so I was, I was well cared for in prison to be sure.
1: Praise the Lord for the love and the care of God's people and for his grace. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful testimony, brother. Do you, uh, do you guys think religious freedom is being redefined or do you think it's shrinking and and what do believers need to know and do to protect and stand up for the faith?
0: Yeah. Uh, whether or not religious freedom is shrinking. uh, Certainly the antagonism that believers face from governing authorities does seem to be increasing. So I guess in that sense, the answer is yes. Um, In terms of what believers need to do, I think the bottom line is, and this is really the heartbeat of the book, is we're calling Christians to be obedient to Christ. It's not that we're asking the church or individual believers to muster up some sort of internal fortitude on their own or in their own strength. What we're asking them to do is to commit themselves to being faithful to Christ. Courage doesn't require some sort of internal mustering up of an emotion of uh, inner strength or fortitude. It simply demands obedience in the moment. And insofar as Christians are willing to be obedient, no matter the cost, no matter the consequences, they will exhibit the kind of courage that Christ calls them to exhibit. And the New Testament assures us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will give them the strength in that moment to take that stand if they are willing to obey. So really what we're calling the church to is to be obedient. Whether there's religious freedom or not is in some ways irrelevant. Certainly it affects our comfort, but it's somewhat irrelevant. The, the real issue is, are we going to be faithful to Christ even when it's not popular to do so?
1: Really well said. No, I, I think that that's. Uh, I think that's really good. Yeah, really, really good. Where can where can people go to find out more about you guys online, on
0: social media or otherwise? So the publisher put up a website, godversusgovernment.com So people can find out about the book by simply going online. Uh, the book's available in all of the normal retailers and avenues uh, from Amazon to everywhere else. So that's probably the easiest way to find out about the book specifically. Uh, you can find out more about... My ministry by going to the masterseminary.edu. and my bio is there on that website. And James, I'll let you talk a little bit about where they can find
2: your bio. Yeah, you can go to gracelife.ca, and and that's uh, our, our church website. I don't have a strong social media presence. I've just, for whatever reason, uh, steered clear of that in my ministry. But my wife has a, a presence on Instagram, and so you can follow my wife. Aaron Coates. And, uh, and so I would encourage you to do that. Um, you know, as far as the book is concerned, it might be helpful just to know this. I, you, you have two stories of, of what, of what's happened in our lives and in our churches. And, uh, and with, with Nathan's story of grace community church, you have a, a broad view discussion of all of the legality and the, the, the court engagement that took place, as they navigated that season. And, and then uh, you have a, a slightly different piece because ours wasn't primarily in the court system with all of that going on. You've got a very personal story in terms of what I went through as we navigated that season, including my imprisonment and everything thereafter. So I think, um, I think the stories on their own are a compelling reason to pick up this book, to relive what we both went through as churches. And, uh, and, and then from there, the theological. Framework for the stand is going to equip believers to be able to take the the stand that they need to take in their various spheres of obedience. So, um, just encourage folks to to lay their hands on this book. I think it's going to be useful and helpful in the years to come.
1: Yeah, Nathan, do you have any takeaways uh, as we wrap up uh, this this first part?
0: No, I mean I would certainly agree with what James just said. That I do think the stories are compelling. And James's story is particularly compelling to me. For those of us down here at Grace Community Church, uh, we were all willing to go to prison if that was what was required, but God did not require that of us. James did uh, take that same stand, and he did have that as the consequence And, you know, it reminds me of some of the folks in church history, like I think of John Bunyan, for example, the famous author of Pilgrim's Progress, who was put in prison for preaching. And he was told, we'll let you out if you promise to stop preaching. And he said, I can't do that. And he was in prison for 12 years simply because he would not agree to stop preaching because he knew God had called him to preach. So to see James and his story and his example, for me, it was just a privilege to get to be part of this project, because not only seeing Dr. MacArthur's bold stand, but also seeing James's bold stand, and for me to get to be part of that story in some way, I do think it is a helpful resource for people from the biblical theological side for sure, but I also agree that the stories themselves are compelling.
1: Wonderful. I agree with all of that, guys. Well, guys, this is the first part of two episodes that we're going to do with, with uh, James and Nathan. Guys, you did a wonderful job and uh, looking forward to talking here again.